What's up, ladies and gentlemen? You're listening to New Hill Talks, a podcast for the members and regular attenders of New Hill Church. My name is Michael Meadows. I'm the lead pastor of New Hill Church. I am Gary Fox, associate pastor of the month, two months in a row. And Mark Sherry, a recovering softball addict. <laughs> recovering softball addict. He's in the. He's working the steps. He he needs to be given some steps. <laughs> in the right I'm only kidding. No. <laughs> Um, the only thing I had for you when you were playing was just to pull the bat back a little bit. It's like you were like leaned forward, like ready to rip them, and you almost had to step back. So my coach told me, um, I remember in one of my little league games, I'd, I'd have like the bat like right in front of my chest, right, and he said pull it back, like have it cocked back like a gun, ready to go. Yeah. And I pulled it back, and the very next pitch I like smashed Whack. it out. Yeah. I, I hit a home run. He's like, see, should have been doing that all season. Right. Um, it was just like it's one of those things, just being ready. Um, but, like, we love some of those, you know, as guys, we like some of those uh, wind-ups and stuff that you see in, like, the majors. Like, they start here, and they do this big wind-up. That's crazy. They just rip them. Like, how they ever got to the majors doing that. Like, those weird wind-ups? Yeah, like, don't you think coaches would have been flipping out since sure. they were six Well, years yeah, old? until they smash it. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, it's showmanship. Do, yeah. do whatever you want, buddy. Right. Remember Julio yeah. Franco? Are you guys old enough to remember him? Julio? No. He would hold the bat like th- You can't see it. This is not a video, a, a vlog. Here, watch this, guys. <laughs> but he'd hold it almost like over his head, kind of like this, and then, like, he had the weirdest swing. Yeah. But he would mash it. Yeah. It was good. And then you it's don't say a word. I mean, yeah, seriously. And then you have some guys who look ready to like just hit somebody with their bat every moment they grab it. If we, if we, if when I was a kid, if I'd have walked up to the plate and held the bat like Julio Franco, I think my coach would have walked up and smashed the bat over his knee like the power team. Like they didn't put up with it. You had to. That's why I never understood how did those guys make it as far as they made it without a coach when they were eight years old taking the bat out of their hand you know it's just whatever see right. I, I grew up in europe we played soccer football that's what we had there's in, a lot of communism there though right that's that's a result of it absolutely right. but i do prefer soccer and i will challenge do you michael, watch soccer no no i don't watch sports but i will challenge michael to a one-on-one soccer match mm. this evening at the field you six o'clock you and me i'll be right behind your house tonight Let's play. And not six. Soccer Tonight, match? What's, we'll, we'll I'll play. be at Fred Greenwood. You yeah. come over yes, at I'll, 7.30. I'll walk over there. I, you know, we'll, Melee we'll, T-ball practice. We'll so. do it out. What I'm saying, right. Omar, I didn't realize that they brought kids that young there, because usually it's like the middle school age kids at that Fred Greenwood. Um, we, we only get so many practices, and then the games start here soon. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've, we're on the schedule. Like, we can't just show up. So, like, they've scheduled us in. And it's only an hour. I'll, Those I'll other kids you. like play. For we're gonna race, and then we're gonna play soccer, and we're gonna record it and put it up on the church website. Are you good at soccer? I'm good at soccer. Like how good? I was on a travel. You're about to find out. Oh, you had money, huh? No, no, my parents were missionaries. They didn't have money. Oh, you played <laughs> my, travel in Ukraine? No, and when we came back to the states, they put because that's oh, I've been playing as a because you've been playing over and there. They came back. And yeah. They played dirty over there. Oh, so I bet. they're Anyways. Mm-hmm. Our uh, church, <laughs> our church softball team won our game. So uh, this is news to you all who are listening. We won six won to four. Uh, we beat um, St. Francis uh, Catholic Church here. Is in that on uh, eighteen or not? Yeah, eighteen. Yeah, it's, it's right here. Yeah, um, yeah, just a few blocks away from where we're recording this. Um, our next game is on June thirteenth. So we have a we have Memorial Day uh, weekend, which we won't play, and then we have a bye week. We get a bye week for our second week. It's like so early on in the season. Um, but we play June 13th. 
at 1 p.m. again. So uh, we're playing First Christian Church. If you all aren't doing anything, mark your calendar and come on out. Um, it's actually a great way to, to get the fellowship with our church family. So um, that'll be a busy weekend. We've got our I'm first... I'm glad Charlie, he, he brought the idea. Yeah. Like everybody, there was a bunch of people signed up, which is, that was cool. He headed up nicely. That's yeah. good. No, it's going to be a good time. I actually think I'm going to stick around for that game because they're only a little over an hour. And then I'm going to hit it to Nashville. Cause that night? That's when the convention starts. You got the convention... Starts that week. You guys will be flying down uh, Monday evening, and um, yeah, let me see. Oh shoot! Can't believe I'll miss it. <laughs> Can't believe you'll miss what? I th- are, you said we're missing the game. No, we're you not. aren't missing the game. Oh. <laughs> you wish you were. Uh, well, I, I thought you were recovering, recovering softball at it. No, you guys, uh, you all go down on um, Monday. The game's on. I'm going to ask a question because I'm going to forget, and this will just be on the podcast. What are the rules on flying with tobacco? You can take it. You can take tobacco. No problems, yeah. And if you have any problems, just send me down. Like, if you don't even want to bother with it, send me down with it the day before. So okay. if you bring your stuff to church on Sunday, I can just drive it down. They're not going to, like, start pulling no. my bags out and going, what's in this, what's in this? What I, can't, I cannot guarantee you that they won't do that. But no. they can't do anything. You can take your tobacco on there. Please don't take it lighter. Unless you have, like, can I bring a butane uh, tobacco torch? Will and them will all have it. Don't worry. <laughs> don't don't she worry our sending church will provide our butane needs all right anyways i wanted to get the the schedule out there so uh we were in acts chapter four um first like 20 what 22 verses 20 let's see how far did we go 21 or 22 22, 22. Right. i had i had a thought by the way a thought or a question well it just it's 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 obvious it's almost like common sense but you know sometimes when you hear something preached or just mentioned and then you're like, that makes total sense. But I never, I guess I never thought very much about it. But when you were talking about like these guys that Peter was in front of were the same guys that had Christ crucified. Mm-hmm. And not only before, prior to Christ's crucifixion, I mean, these guys were hot on their heels. And I mean, so they were well aware of who these men were and what they were capable of and how bad they hated this movement, you know, and Peter... Uh, how long was this? A few, I mean, a couple months, months before was denying Christ. We're talking six, 60 days. Yeah. No more than probably days. 60 days yeah. of yeah. since Jesus' so crucifixion. Of Pentecost. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, all of it. Yeah. So it wasn't like, I mean, they had their eyes wide open. In fact, it, even after Christ was crucified, after Peter denied Christ and all that, they were hiding out in the, mm-hmm. out in the woods somewhere. Like, you know, like they were, they were scared to death of this. And yet, after Pentecost, you see this, the church is born, boom, boom, Holy Spirit is moving, and then there's all of this boldness. It just, it really is remarkable, if you think about it from a human perspective, the radical, quick, and powerful change that came on Peter in particular. Yeah, everybody loves an underdog story. You like to see someone who's a nobody become a something. And to me, that was probably, you know, one of the most poignant points points where you know I think of myself where I came from you know kind of a nobody uh, uneducated in ways and it's it's become clear throughout church history that God chooses the weak things of yeah. the world to confound the wise so here you have these weak men confounding the supposedly wise and it's 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 empowering to I mean me. Peter like, was probably illiterate or mostly illiterate a fisherman didn't it, it, it he yeah, I don't think he he was. Didn't he have Mark 
right he for did him. Have Mark write it. Yeah. You know, so, so like he probably was definitely not highly educated. He's a mm-hmm. fisherman, right? So here he is in front of them. Not only just bold, but you could be bold and ignorant. But Peter is like giving them solid answers back, it, like conviction and logic and reason and. Um, yeah, I just think that was a good point that uh, our good Reverend uh, Meadows brought up. It's like, that's true. Like, Well, people don't connect the dots, and it's like this redemptive story is, is just broken up into chapters that aren't linked to one another. But they're very much linked. I mean, so look at when you look at this uh, passage, you don't see them uh, with as much haste. Uh, to put these guys on trial. It's a little less like... Yes. So there's this fulfilling of Scripture with Jesus, but also a fulfilling of Scripture and like the gospel is going to go forth. Um, so like Peter and them would eventually... Well, Peter was a martyr. John was a martyr, right? Or No. John wouldn't have been a martyr. He was the only one that wasn't a martyr, right? He survived the boiling pot and went to Patmos. <laughs> he dealt with so much. He wishes he would have died. Yeah, right? no I mean, seriously. Burn my foot. Kill me now. Like, this guy's... Michael boiled. burned his foot real bad with oil. Yeah. One time, so Did you? I'm like, yeah, Aubrey, I, I'm done. I'm sorry. And she's like, you're fine. You're breathing, and I'm like, no, just kill me. Like, oh man, I'm like, this is horrible. Um, literally, like hearing John's story is crazy. But anyways, a lot of the apostles would obviously go on and be martyrs, but like this wasn't wasn't the time. But you look just at the, the difference in what had just happened to Jesus and these same men, and it was like a notable sign's been done. Like, what are we gonna do? Uh, we can't deny it. They further threatened them, uh, which is interesting, and they didn't back down. So they were they were playing a game of poker almost. Well, just. they did this miracle in public, which just shows how, like, it, it's like puts them in such a bad spot, the, the Pharisees mm. and the Sadducees, which is another good point, that they didn't even believe in the resurrection. Um, but, the, you know, the miracles of the ancient church, the miracles of God is undeniable. When God's at work, you know, when he does something like this, it's not like Islam where, you know, Muhammad goes into a cave all by himself and Gabriel appears to him. Nobody's witnessing any of this. Same with Joseph Smith with the Mormons and so forth. Um, this is all in public. So you have to understand this is a this is a this is a an account a historical account and you kind of put yourself in the story of like you mentioned this a couple weeks ago. We thought this was done. We crucified the guy. Paid off the guards. We're not done. This Jesus thing is still happening. And it's in public. And the miracles that Jesus was doing, apparently these guys are now starting to do. And so you can see how they're trying to keep a lid on this, threatening them. Don't do this anymore. But we better, you know, like, what? they're thinking, remember, I mean, there had already been all kinds of riots, you know, within the 50-year period. Like, this was volatile. And so, what are we going to do with these guys? And the persecution escalates throughout Acts. And it's just like back in Exodus when the Egyptians persecuted the Israelites. They multiplied. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we we look at that today. It's like back then, the more persecution, the the more the gospel went out. The more Christians. And today, I mean, the more Christians, like Pastor James Coates, who's persecuted in Canada for holding church services during... Yeah, he's not doing know, anything co- radical. Co- yeah, just I mean, he's church. just preaching the gospel, and they put him in jail. And because of that, so many people have been hearing about his story. Even, you know, unbelievers, they're hearing about it, and they're getting to hear glimpses of the gospel from his yes. story. Yes, yep. 
Yeah, I mean, why would someone be willing to go to jail if it wasn't worth it? Right. Yeah, I mean, persecution is what it highlights. I don't know if anything highlights the mag the magnificent nature of the faith than the persecution, because God's people, by His grace through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, this is not them, but they stand. They stand mm -hmm. tall, and even if they go down, like die. It, that 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 is a powerful witness, and whenever that goes on, um, there are converts. People are saved yep. through that sacrifice. You know, we we get upset about you know cancel culture and getting banned off Facebook and this and that. Well, they're getting like banned off of like life. Like they're getting banned off of everything. You know what I mean? And it was unstoppable. So we need to obviously speak out against any kind of form of persecution because. You know, the persecution against speech leads to Pastor Coates up in yeah. Canada. You know, it, it does progress. But um, on the one hand, so we, we speak out against it. But on the other hand, we are in faith knowing that this gospel and this and his church will not be stopped. He can't. Right. He will accomplish what Christ is sent here to do. Right. Anything else stand out to you guys in this past week's text? The office analogy was... Obviously, the highlight of your sermon with you like that? Michael Scott and Daryl coming, and Daryl's like the apostle. There's like no giggling or anything there. You guys kind of like wake we, you all We were up. giggling inside. Were you, you know what I can't? I need it outside. We were, I'm like, we were, man, that was a dud. No more office. We were, we were entertained by it. You know what? I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Look, it's a comedy show when I get up there, man. I'm going to be around. I'm going to be around when Michael Meadows is 43. And he gets up there, and he starts talking about the office, just like how I brought up Julio Franco just now. Okay, yeah. no, I can't wait for him to be bringing up, and he's going to go. I'm still cool, like how I feel. And then the young guy is going to be like, I have no clue who Michael Scott is or what you're talking about or yeah. any of that stuff. I can't from, wait. Michael. Is that from when people worked in offices? Because everybody's going to be so remote by then. Yeah, they exactly. They're not even going like to understand the office. The office. What's what the mean? office? <laughs> <laughs> you worked with people without masks, without biohazard suits on? <laughs> but the issue with naming a baseball player is there's just so many. Dude, Julio Franco was phenomenal. He's, I, did you, you know Albert? Did, did you remember the name his name? Bell. I don't know. I've, I've heard the name, but Jim Tomey, Albert Bell, those guys were the ones I was more familiar with. Oh yeah, I right. was a big. Albert were they? Bell they were. They were in the same the nineties era, right? <clears throat> Franco, I think. Yeah, he got ended up. Anytime Cleveland had a good player back, especially back then, they were as soon as their contract was up, they were gone. That's still happening. Trying to think, he, he may. I can't remember where he went, but but he was really good. He was kind of. I don't think he played with those guys, or maybe right. Maybe but the same they were, Oh, so you're saying it's he was later? A, a half a generation before him. Like mm -hmm. he, there may have been a little overlap, but I remember when Albert Bell, when he first came out. You know what his yeah. his name his name is Joey Albert Bell, yeah. Yeah. and he would. I think he beat up a fan one time or something, or threw a ball. He did something. Look it up. He hit. A but they call car on Halloween something. They were calling him Joey, and he didn't like it. And you didn't want Albert Bell upset with you. There's just certain things in life that you don't want. Your head is the ball. He he was so juiced up on the gas. I mean, that was back when. Yeah. No regulation and. Oh my goodness! But I, I yeah I saw we I went to some Indians games back in the '90s or whatever. We'd be down like seven to two or whatever, and then just, it was like you at no point did you feel like we were going to lose this game. 
the seventh inning. You know what I mean? Like, we're, oh, bam, 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 we started hitting home. Yeah. I remember one time Albert Bell hit a, I was there, hit a grand slam in, uh, probably in the eighth inning or something right at the end of the game. We're down by three. Boom. I mean, he knocked that ball out of the park just about. I mean, it was just like a freak show. You know what I mean? And the place went, that was a great time. Those teams were awesome, those Indians teams. But anyway, Julio Franco was, you guys, just look him up. You mean those Cleveland teams? What would you call them? Yeah, the Cleveland what? I'm offended. Excuse me, we're the Cleveland like baseball team. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. All right, so. <laughs> the Indians were, the whole, I, I can't remember what the guy's name was, but it was like an honor of this great Indian. So can't, we can't do that anymore. We've had some questions come in. Um, asking us uh, whether it be you know via email or just conversations we've had with um, you know folks around the church, even within our community, and uh, really a hot topic uh, within the the Capital C Church uh, today is what can uh, women do in the ministry? Um, what can't they do? What can men do? What can't men do? So on and so forth. Uh, so what we wanted to do was is take an episode to address. Um, what we believe in is called complementarianism. Um, Pastor Gary, can you explain that term? Actually, while you're drawing, Mark, what is complementarianism? So it's set in juxtaposition to egalitarianism. Which is? Um, egalitarianism, uh, it comes from the French word, which means equal. So within the church order, you have women who are able to hold any same office and fulfill any ministry that a man is able to fulfill. So there's equality. And there are different levels of egalitarians. You have egalitarians who believe in that in the church, but at home, the husband's the head and, uh, and is to lead the house. And then you have ones who believe that in the home, they're just entirely equal. Uh, complementarianism is a teaching that says that while they are spiritually equal, they are different because there's no such thing as true equality across the board with anything in life. There are always disparities. Men are gifted to do certain things. Women are gifted to do certain things. And the office of uh, pastor, uh, elder, bishop, uh, all synonyms, is exclusively for men. Uh, for men. And, and that's kind of my assessment of it. Would you add anything to yeah, I mean, those terms? Or? So the word... He, everything Mark says is exactly right. That word egalitarian, the root of that is equal, your equality. Um, which, <clears> on <throat> the surface, we'd say, well, who, who would have a problem with that, right? Because the Bible very clearly says in the body of Christ there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. We are all equal. Uh, the, the philosophical or theological term would be on, ontologically, like ontology, our being. Our, we are, they're, they're, we're, they're Nobody is lesser um, than anyone else. Everyone has uh, equally. All, every person has the equal. Uh, equally has the image of God. They bear it, and so forth, and so are worthy of equal um, dignity and dignity respect. and respect yes. and, and care and, and uh, value and rights and yes, yes, yes. So I I, I shy away from the word equal. <laughs> I, I almost prefer the word same sameness. So egalitarianism, if you get down to it, it's it's more than just saying that they're equal. It's that men and women are essentially the same. That there's there's no other than biological plumbing differences. That's it. They're, they're, that men and women are the same. 
complementarianism would say men and women are equal but are not the same that they're distinct that there's things that that make a man a man there are things that make a woman a woman and they they function differently as a result of those differences that God designed and built into them um, and so yeah we would be complementarian uh, a complementarian church and it spills over into family life it spills over into the social order um, you know this debate now has just like went bonkers right like because now I believe as a direct result of the United States becoming egalitarian totally uh, not totally but for, predominantly egalitarian we now when you when you have for 40 or 50 years teaching in schools and in many churches that men and women are the same now we've lost all distinction between them so it doesn't matter really if I feel like I'm a woman if I feel like I'm a man it really doesn't matter if you get down to it if that's what makes you happy then be a woman like it you don't lose anything nothing changes because men and women are the exact same anyway so if you're more comfortable in a dress and high heels then that's who cares and if you really follow the logic of, of egalitarianism in its purest form that makes sense it really does make sense the reason why we would hear this that, that you could be a woman or man or whatever like you can identify however you want the reason why we instantly, those of us that, whether we recognize the term complementarian or not, the reason why we would recoil against that is because instinctively we would know men are men, okay, and women are women. So this idea that you can just like shuffle that around is unnatural. Like it doesn't even make sense. How could you do that? Well, if you're a true egalitarian, it doesn't, it, there's no basis to have a problem with it there's none right yeah, and, and i think it's important off the right off the bat to say you like that softball reference right off the bat to say that we're not saying women or less this is not any way derogatory or that we're saying they're inferior it's just there there are ways that god created men for in a certain way with a certain structure and there's uh with a certain psyche and same for women and they they have different roles and you could say in, you with a compliment if you take complementarianism uh and abuse it the other way yes. you could argue and say women are better than men because if you value uh, uh nurturing and care and emotional development as a higher value than authority uh to lead for example then you could say well since this is better nurturing care uh, emotional uh, development and so forth that's superior then you could argue yeah. wrongly that women are superior to men so neither one is what complementarianism is saying right whatsoever so i think it's important to especially here in this kind of topic to with any topic but particularly this one let's open up god's word and pick up in first timothy 2 i'm gonna read verses 8 through 15 um and then focus in on, on verse uh, 12. Paul writes to Timothy here, he says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, 
Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is a very interesting verse there to end with, by the way. Uh, Lots of discussion about that. But let's focus in again on verse 12. We can talk about modesty another time, you know, when it's talking about braided hair and and whatnot. Um, This is what is referred to as um, a pastoral epistle. Um, What you have first and second Timothy and then Titus uh, would be referred to as the pastoral epistles. Am I missing one, right? It's just those three? Yeah. Okay, cool. Making sure. So I don't want to say that wrongly, but there in verse 12, you get really where we we drive home. Obviously, all of scripture is pointing to, to this in this order. Um, but I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Um, clearly, when Paul mentions something like this, uh, something's happened. Um, so it seems as though there's um, been some kind of dispute um, among the folks Timothy is with. Um, and women have found themselves into some place of spiritual authority within the church context. Now, this is key because this is where we begin to make big distinctions um, on what we're saying, right? We've talked a lot about equality, men and women both being created um, in God's image, therefore have dignity, deserve dignity and respect and value, which God has created us in. Um, But he's also created the church, which is his bride, his body, right? The body of Christ. But here we see there is clear instruction to what is supposed to happen within the church. And that is Paul saying he's not permitting a woman to teach or to exercise this authority, spiritual authority, over a man, rather than remain quiet. Now, does that mean a woman cannot speak in church? No. Right. Actually, um, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, If you're wondering where scripture readings have gone in our church, we used to have men and women do that. It's not that we don't value them. We're trying to figure out with two services who's going to what service and who, That's who we can the biggest have. biggest thing. Yeah. yeah. Who we, we can have on. Yeah. And it's just figuring out uh, who does what. But at New Hill Church, we're not getting away from that practice. We look to bring that back in soon, hopefully. We just got to come up but, with a schedule. Like. But yeah, I mean, we have, and maybe if you're listening to this and you're a woman, you've read um, scripture at our church before. It's not about that. Um, what exactly, Mark, I'll hand it over to you. Uh, does this mean and should how should this be understood this verse or if you have so, another verse feel free to throw well, it well so there's there's I don't know if, which foundations to lay first but like I, I know when when I showed that verse to Rose she's like and First Corinthians 14 she's like so what am I not allowed to talk in church so for instance it says in First Corinthians 14 verse 34 the, yeah yeah that women let's see here the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject, are to subject themselves just as the law says. So, a couple things. Um, this is in the context of tongues of prophecy. First uh, Corinthians eleven uses, you know, talks about women prophesying and and um, and praying in the church. That's a whole other context, though. But on this one, this is authoritative <clears throat> from the pulpit. 
ministry of the word. And Paul in both places, 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14, ties this back to creation and the law. So this, this isn't, you know, this was pre-fall. When God made the man first, um, he then made the woman for the man, not the other way around. And Paul actually clarifies that in 1 Corinthians 11 that says, man does not originate from the woman, but woman from the man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman... Okay, so, <clears throat> yeah, I would, I would say um, that throughout the scriptures, you have a clear precedence for male leadership, not because uh, it's patriarchy or, or sexism in some, you know, dirty way. This, is, this just goes back to how God made the man and the woman, and the man is the leader, and the woman is the helper. And um, I'm not sure how else to explain other. Well, than yeah, that, but, but no, but that's great. And what you're showing there is even this this uh, this team, right, or this spiritual family, complementing each other. Yeah, right. So like we're we're talking roles at this point. So there's a role too that the man can't fill. Like Gary can't be my helper. Like yes, Gary helps me, right? Like we get yep. that in that sense. Um, women speak at like Christian conferences and, and, and things like there's times and places like where it would seem as though those are the things, but it's not right. Just because you speak at a, a conference doesn't mean you're a pastor. Right. doesn't mean you're uh, giving the law. Right. Um, and, and in the same way, like we can't be the helper to a man in the same way a woman can. Right. Like, so there's actually a, a part that like we can't fill. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Are you up in arms about that? That you can't be the helper? No, I actually enjoy not being. I like being. I like being helpful, but I enjoy not being the helper. And by the way, there there are men, for men who listen to this, that you want to be the helper to your wife. Be helpful, but do not seek to be the helper. There's right. a big Don't give away your authority. Yeah, yeah, and this and this authority, it's not a domineering dictatorship. This is a sacrificial, loving leadership. That you you is provide. That, it's very difficult. That she it needs, is. by the yeah, way. And, and, and like you, so, like this is like not just like formality. Right. And We're you, built this way, and if you're not doing that at home, you're you're hurting her. That's right. You you look at what do what do women want in a man? They want someone who can provide for them. They want someone who can protect them. They want someone who can yes meet their emotional needs. But they want a leader. They want an assertive. Yes, gentle and loving and kind, but leader, one who can teach, who can instruct. Um, you know, just every, everybody knows that, uh, you know, just in general, as far as the psyche goes, you know, the, the accusation's been made that women are irrational and men are more logical. Now, those are to different degrees, but that is a, a good generalization. And most women I've talked to will agree. Yes, they are, they are led by their feelings, whereas, generally speaking, a man is led by logic. And you Michael's, need both, though. You need both. You do That's need right. both. You need both in that home, and so uh, because because of the way we're built, there's a. That's where the word complement. We complement each other because if you had, uh, if 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 the if the woman was not approaching issues, especially when you're dealing with the children, from an emotional perspective. Like, it will fly right over my head how one of the kids are feeling. Or even yeah. in the church, if there's a situation that um, 
that they're that they're aware of that's kind of common knowledge in the church the pastors need their wives sometimes to give them a clue as to yeah you answered it correctly but did you you didn't pick up on the way that person and not just that but looked I mean, at you or they see that stuff right and it is important yep. it's important yeah. for us to know that stuff and ladies get frustrated with us because like they see it plain as day. I don't know if Rose has ever done this to you, where it's like, "How did you not see the the look on her face all the time?" Yeah, and it's like, I, I don't know. I didn't see it, but I didn't see it, and it's a blind spot. Right. And then, uh, and then conversely, there's situations where logic is what needs to. So when you so you bring that together, and now you've got a well-rounded approach to family life, and in the church, and in the society. God designed this, right, yes. and so when he, when Paul here is saying, "I don't permit to do this," it's not because he hates the women or the women are stupid or anything or they like can't this. Do it. He's saying they're a role, right? Or they or they're incompetent. They don't know how to talk. They, none of that. Right. He's saying there's a there is an order that God has designed that is to be maintained, is to be defended, and it's not to be monkeyed with, or else you will have chaos. You will ha- it'll be out of balance. And so when it comes to the preaching and the teaching of the word, there is an emotional mm-hmm. uh, element to that, but predominantly it needs to be driven by logic and reason and and uh, boldness and strength in that context. So therefore, because that's the way God designed the men, that's their role in the church. Yeah, and he, he goes straight into in First in Timothy 3, which is so important to understand. This isn't for every man either. Mm-mm. This is it, it's qualified men. There's qualifications that are laid out. Now, this doesn't mean that these men are superior, but they meet the qualifications for this office in the church. Um, so, not any man can just jump up in the pulpit um, or in the office of of elder and just take it over. Uh, for far too long, we've done that. And so, I want to get into this. Just kind of the what has been the cultural shift? Um, but for far too long. We've let um, unqualified men into these positions, and you can't help but like be like, yeah. Like when I screw up or start acting goofy in my home, my wife will step up, and then I'm thinking like, why is she doing my job? Oh, because I've not been doing it the way that I should be. I'm not acting in a qualified manner or whatever it might be. Um, and I'm not saying I'm unqualified or unfit for you know my home, but you guys know like where you have those moments where it's well, like, you yeah, realize I'm not like doing wait what, a minute, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm screwing up. Uh, so I believe that's been part of the, the cultural uh, shift. Another one that I want to talk about is, and it kind of goes with this, is how men have, have become um, in the church for years, decades, right, um, suppressing uh, the church's gifts um, to where it's just the pastors. So mm-hmm. pastors have been elevated by the congregation at, at no fault of their own, um, per se. Uh, maybe in the way they speak, it just has led to that. Um, but we've also elevated this position, uh, the, the leaders in the church. Um, how can we begin to, to shift or navigate through this so that the church sees the benefit um, to really what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 is the pastors are there to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Right. So if you're following That's, along with it, yeah. Can, what you, we, can you rephrase or recan that question? Yeah. So how can we begin to, to shift it back into a, a biblical understanding I that see. every person has a job in the church? Um, including it may just, the ladies. Like, including the ladies, including 
uneducated common men, you know, who have no yeah. formal education or so, uh, training for pastoral ministry. Yeah, and, and you know, I'll just use New Hill as an example. Um, there, there are a lot of churches when you when you go there, um, they are either way too eager to plug you into something that like, hey, do you want to be ushered? Do you want to, you know, whatever it is. And they don't really qualify who's doing the job. But I think that most churches, especially conservative churches, they just do not give you opportunity to right. do what you're gifted at. And I, I have no problem saying that most churches. So at New Hill, you guys were very quick to immediately talk to me and my wife about giftings. You know, what right. are you inclined towards? What do you like to do? And I've seen you do that with others. So I think it starts not just at the personal level, you know, as you've done, but also at the pulpit of explaining. I think you, you've talked a lot about Ephesians 4, Michael, and how, you know, that's your job to equip us to do the work in the ministry. Right. Um, so I think it's at the pulpit and, and at the individual level. And then, you know, I, I can't remember which one of you made the comment. I think it was at the, uh, the volunteers meeting. Like, if you have an idea, don't come to me unless you're willing to drive that idea. Just comments like that open up and liberate the person who's thinking they have no influence in the church. So right. I, I think New Hill does a fantastic job at that, that I have not seen at other churches. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a value that I picked up on when we first came, and I've only seen it seen it grow. Yeah, I mean, the answer is is that you release people to do ministry, to, to you know, you the, the elders of the church, the pastors, are to be overseeing what's going on, make sure things are being done decently and in order and that things are, you know, that kind of stuff is going on. But that doesn't mean that um, you've got to let go of that. Like you delegate it yeah. to whoever, the man, the man, woman, whoever it is, could even be a kid. And a lot of times, I know Aubrey, we get there early to set up or whatever, and she'll hand my, how old is Christian? Six, my old son, six years old. <laughs> old is my son. Hand him a thing of Clorox wipes right and michael and i aren't having to worry about what's getting wiped, and, and she puts him to work and he that's his job now all of a sudden he's got to wipe these chairs down whatever it is she's having him do or whatever but you got to release him to do it like we're not walking over to aubrey going oh you need to do it this way and i think some churches are kind of like that oh, or yeah. or they're afraid that maybe that doesn't happen but they're afraid it's gonna happen mm -hmm. because they don't feel released to to do it so when something's handed off that's it. You know, like we had a, uh, uh, by this time, I think it's, by the time this drops, this is known, Joetta is retiring as a secretary. <laughs> so we wanted to get her flowers and do things like this. And, and uh, uh, Michelle Weeks is, uh, Michelle Weeks is uh, uh, one of our deaconesses. And she, she kind of oversees, I don't know what we call it, benevolence and care. Benevolence and mercy. Yeah, that kind of ministry, stuff. Yeah. And so I just sent her a text. I said, "Hey, this is what's going on. You know, can can you coordinate this and get 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 the flowers to her and get a card?" Boom, done. And, and that was it. And so like, I'm not like texting her. If I, okay, I want you to go to this flower shop and buy this and do this. Just set her. Just do it. Tulips, five of them. Yeah, right. it's just let her go do. <laughs> so I don't. I, you know, I think that if you were to talk to her, she would feel, yeah, this is, and she loves doing this kind of stuff. She, I mean, she's like built for this. She loves it. She. And so you just release her to, to do that. Pastors are aware of what's going on, but you, if, once you start micromanaging people, suddenly they're going to shrink back and they're not going to want to serve because they're not going to want to do it wrong. 
Can I can I jump because I, I do have to run here for a call in a little while. Uh, on the on the topic of serving, uh, I think probably a good majority of people feel like they're not exercising their spiritual gifts. They they may not even know what they are, but start with something small. Just mm-hmm. whether you like or dislike people, be be a greeter, right? Like Rose loves cleaning. That is her spiritual gift. She will clean day and night. She does so with our house. When you heard and this, she exercises. I got to marry this woman. That was it. That was. The, that's all she had to say. <laughs> Forget about the cooking, just the cleaning. Um, so I, I would say that you know, make make yourself available to the pastors. Come to them. Talk to them because they might not know. They might think you're fill. You know, you're satisfied with your service, and you might be feeling guilty. Or uh, the other thing I was going to say is back to you know why why do. Why do egalitarians believe the way they do? Well, I think they come with a preconceived notion about this true equality, but all the verses they use, particularly Galatians 3, that's not talking about, you know, we're all one in Christ, male, female. That's talking about justifications, our standing in Christ. It's not talking about ministry. Or functions. And, or, yeah, and, right, and, you're no more justified because of right. and, yeah, and, and your so, biological parts. You know, like on that, there's... <laughs> There's a book on Amazon. Um, I had to look it up to make sure it's still there. It says uh, eggs are expensive, sperm is cheap. It's a real book, and it's about like yeah. you know, like etiquette, how men are to you know behave, and you know when you're walking down the street, you walk on the outer uh, realm in case a car hits you. It's right, her, you and not her. So they're they're. You know, women are strong. It talks about them being the, the weaker vessel. And although it is true in certain instances, it doesn't mean that they're less valuable. In fact, like this book presents, women are more valuable in many ways, like right. you alluded to. And, you know, if you have like a, you know, if, if, if there's a vase on a, Doug Wilson talks about, you know, just a, a, a vase, like, sure, if you drop it can break, but if it's worth $40,000, right. that is a super expensive vase that you need to protect and, and be very um protective over right um so so yeah like all the verses that the egalitarians like to pick out first corinthians 11 uh against you know they make the arguments against first corinthians 11 and 14 and first timothy 2 they they try real hard with these gymnastics and they are plain as day and when you're fighting against the words that are plain as day you're fighting against what God says. Right. And the women, they're, they're, uh, Summer Jager does this Sheologians podcast. Yeah. Uh, and, and she said, the happiest I've ever been is when I'm doing what God made me to do. Right. And, and God did not make women to be pastors, not because they can't do it. I'm sure they could do a better job than I could by, them, by yeah. far. Yeah. But it's not, it's it. not their role. Right. And it does create that confusion. Mm. Well, not church. only that, but just even societally. You've got women today that are so ate up with anxiety and stress and it, because we are forcing this, un, it's not only just, it, it's unbiblical, but it's also unnatural, uh, putting unnatural pressure on them to function like men. And then you've got a bunch of men who are depressed and are pathetic basically because they've been beaten down to believe that like they can't act the way that they're supposed to act as, as a man. And so you've got a whole society now that's all mixed up by this. And here the Bible is very clear, not only in the roles of the church, but in the roles of society in general. The way that humans are made are, are, is, is different. So when we hold the line here at New Hill over this issue, it's not 
it's not to be controversial. It's not to be. I don't know what the word is. It, mean it, it, and yeah, right. Like like we're just yeah. just this way we are because we're stubborn or we're he man woman hater. Yeah, like it's it's no. not that. Yeah. It's like listen, folks. Your way is not working. Your way has got this whole country so messed up and so full of confused people. The word of God could not be more clear about it. You say you don't like it. Well, that's your problem with God. That's I mean we we're not making this up as we go. So it's true and it works. So, and then something else to to note, and this will probably lead us for a little bit, maybe even lead us out. There's a distinction here between pastoral ministry and even leadership within the church. And we've talked about this too. It's like there are women right now serving in leadership at New Hill Church, um, even if it's not been given like as a formal position. Um, But you even mentioned our wives. Our wives aren't pastors, um, but we do consult them about things when it comes to, hey, like we're maybe we're dealing with this situation and, you know, you spare them of details, but like, like you said, like there, there's this they natural just pick up on stuff. Yeah, and we're not going and telling them everything that goes on with the church, but like there are things that they pick up on. Or they have things. two eyes. Yeah, I mean they can see. Yeah, oh, they really have a third. I mean, like they, right. they, they, like you mentioned earlier, they distinctively have this uh, nurturing character that God's given them, gifting, and and it helps us. Big time, but also they pick up on stuff. And there's times where um, we have to consult. Um, a woman in the church about hey like maybe we're thinking about going this direction or um, our you know wives were uh, a big help with even bathrooms in the church you know like, yeah. you know, just figuring hey you know like what do you think about this you know having the bathrooms in the flow and it being just two unisex bathrooms one person at a time uh, we don't care just make sure there's a changing table and it's like right. oh okay. changing table I didn't even think about that, that. About you that. don't change them on the floor right I mean we can but come on guys like and oh okay <laughs> holding them by the leg <laughs> I don't know yeah I don't know why we did uh, concrete floors if we're yeah not changing them on all right whatever um, but things like that like they're and it helps us to get a, a better perspective of our church family uh, by having ladies in leadership but the the overall sense is the pastors are going to have to make the final call. That doesn't mean that our call is always going to be right. No. But I think with the plurality we have, um, we're willing to admit our fault. You know. Yeah, and it's the biting our, our cheek and like, yeah, it's like. Ah, so even if so, even if you can point to an example where where the guy got it wrong, or ladies, where you got your husband got it wrong, right? That. <clears throat> It may have been wrong. In other words, you could do the do it the right way and come up with the wrong answer or whatnot. But that's not a an excuse to abandon what God has has ordered. He will bless you, especially when we're talking to the ladies. He will bless you for being submissive to your husbands, that's like right. God says to do, yeah. to be respectful and obedient, and all these words that are in the Bible. Even if he, even Screwed if up. he's doesn't does it wrong. This becomes then an issue of faith in God. God, your husband has a delegated authority and responsibility to provide for you, but that's delegated from God. That's not rooted in him. God is your ultimate provider, and he has a means by which he he brings that about through your husband and through and just through society. We have policemen, we have all these things, right, that God has ordained. Um, have faith and trust in him. Be praying for your husband. If he's if he's not wise uh, about a situation, do all that you can to advise him and, and talk yes. to him and lay that stuff out and maybe argue with him, right? But there comes a point where God has called him to make a decision for the family and and 
it is a command out of the Bible that you trust God and give in. Submit. The word submit doesn't even have any relevance. It's a meaningless word when you're in agreement. There is no submission when you're in agreement. Yeah. And submission you, becomes an issue when you're not in agreement. And that's you when it, you can't have you logically cannot have two heads. It doesn't work like that in any business, any mo- any relationship. Someone has to be the head to set the direction, to set the pace. And to your, I like how you said, listen to your wives. You know, or you know, women. The, the proverbs characterize women as wisdom. Like w- women, in some sense, have more wisdom than men. It is oh, true. Yeah. in some sense. In other sense, men have more wisdom. Right. But men are foolish if they don't listen to their wives. Well, that's yeah. why. And you know, women really need to be taking the time to. Uh, speak into the other ladies' lives, especially those of you who are of older age. Uh, what is it? I think it's a verse you just shared with us. Uh, Titus talks about it. Yeah, right here. Uh, Titus 2, verses 3 through four, or three through 5. Older women, likewise, are uh, to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious uh, gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, um, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So, I, there's a, a huge need, and not just within like teaching other women, right? Like, um, seriously, like the leadership thing goes to us too. Is like as we're leading, you know, having other voices in these roundtable discussions about like, hey, this is the vision. You know, I'm, I'm casting for our church. These are our pastors. We're trying to navigate it this way. You, the member, are trying to navigate it this way. Um, and then you open up the discussion around those tables and you're saying, hey, like, what is the best way forward? And us men admitting when we get it wrong, whether it be in, in the house or um, within our church, it's not just, oh, I did it wrong, let's push it under the rug. Right. I, you know, we got to be willing to admit these things. Dude, this goes back to, um, and hopefully I'm not too far off, uh, but it came back to the, the curse from the very beginning. Yes. It says, uh, what is it? Genesis three sixteen. Uh, to the woman, he said, "This is God talking. I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you." Um, a lot of renderings get that where it talks about you know you'll you'll desire uh, your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. Uh, your desire will be to rule over your husband. Almost. Right. So like there's this battle for authority um, and it's always been this way. And I think like the egalitarian movement is pushing to get rid of not our desire, um, but actually God's created order. Um, And again, we're we're not saying that we're not created a certain way um, as people made in God's image, but we also can't ignore the created order specifically within the church that pastors are to um, under shepherd, right? right? We have the... Our Lord is our overshepherd. He's a chief shepherd. Yeah, he's yeah. a chief, you know. Um, but as we're led by the Lord, pastors have to lead our congregation um, appropriately. And yes, there are discussions uh, with men and women in our church where we're trying to figure out these things, but the pastors are making the final call. Yeah, and that's the way God designed it. Um, and so we need to be strong about it. We need to not apologize for it. It's a matter of faith. Um, and understanding what the Word of God says. And, and it's a matter of uh, just understanding the distinctions between men and women and the way that we're built and designed and um, not resist it. Right. 
not you know I mean it's but but don't leave uh, or you know in this podcast thinking that not everybody has a voice at our church no, uh, no e- even when you know like we're elder governed um, but we we get a lot of input from lots of members of our church unqualified men for you know these positions but they're members of the church right um, yeah I mean from ladies issues and, of uh, you know we do have limited voting even you know you don't have to be an elder to vote on, on the issues that we vote on. We vote on who the elders are going to be. Right. So, I mean, that means that you have, ladies, men, everyone who's a voting member um, has a responsibility. That's part of leading. That's an exercise uh, of, uh, there's accountability to that. Right. And it's it's a responsibility to, to know what's going on at the church so that way you know how to vote when something comes up. And part of leading, too, would be letting us know if there's a blind spot. Hey, there's something going on in the church. As the church it's, grows... Pastors are not going to have their nose in every nook or cranny. Like no. I mean, it, we we can't. Um, it's not helpful. It's not beneficial. You look at um, was it Moses before he went back to Egypt? Um, God said, you know, he'd give him the strength, like the words to say. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. And I mean, uh, no, it was his father-in-law, right? Was it Jethro? The two different. Yeah. Two yeah. different. But when they were, he was trying to judge all of the affairs. Yeah. And, and Jethro and, said, "Don't do that." Yeah. Don't do that. Delegate. Um, so you have that. You have that within the church and. And delegating um, certain powers or whatever, um, there's no... Just responsibilities. Yeah, responsibilities in the church. There's no uh, gender-based idea on that. But within spiritual authority of the church, which is shepherding, pastoring, right? Um, we do see that. Not from men, but from God's word. How does that play out in the home? How does that play out in the home? In other words, is right, like the, this issue of authority of... of as, as it, it relates to complementarianism, I mean, we're, this this is in the church. Right. And this is also at home. Spills over. Well, yeah. At home. The husband's supposed to be the head of the house, uh, so he's got to lead almost like a pastor, where it's like you're making the call, the final call. Um, but again, I mean, you've got that. You got to walk the line in the sense of not like giving way or room for anything outside of scripture, but understanding like men, you need to listen to your wife sometimes. Not like making the call uh, but giving input to the call I mean there's just so much so, that like my wife sees that I'm like I didn't think about that I need to make what a should the ladies take away from this what does like oftentimes I feel like we can almost qualify things so so far I mean what the Bible is is teaching is that first of all what it's not teaching is that the man dictates is the dictator of the home that this issue is dealing with big decisions that are that are critical that that are going to change this family one way or the other the call is given it, it, the responsibility to make that call finally is given to to the husband right and um well i think for men and women so the answer to this would be we need to start having better biblical dialogue between husbands and wives like Husbands, don't be going rogue and, and not talking to your wife about, hey, we're going right. to move to Africa to be missionaries. Like, what? What? Right. Um, hey, we're going to be church planters. You know, our church talks about church planting a lot, so we're just going to go plant the ch- What? Like, you have to have these these conversations and open conversations. Like, let your wife disagree with you. Like, there's a reason she's doing that. There's feelings or emotions or insight that she has. Um, so, yes, you're going to have to make the decision, but, like, a lot of decisions... It, and that's part of society's problem that we've let creep into is we've got to move so fast pace. We've got to right. microwave oven this instead of like letting it cook for a little bit. Like, you know, like some decisions need to be made quick, but a lot of it when properly planned out, like, you know, the scriptures talk about like 
who builds a house without first counting the cost? Like, right. like men, we've got to do that. Count the cost. Like, talk. Uh, part of the burden of this as well, okay, he needs to make the final call. He's the husband, right? right? But that comes with a great deal of responsibility. It, it spills over into who's to be the provider of the family. and the, it's, it's more than just making decisions. It's actual, real leadership. Where that doesn't mean the woman's not working in the Bible. There's plenty of examples of, of women that were uh, working or were industrious or, or were buying and selling and so forth, conducting business. But the responsibility, because he is the lead dog, he's the one that's supposed to be, um, uh, he's the head, he's the one that's going first, is that, you know, they need to, the ladies need to know that that's a big burden on him to make sure that the family's not homeless, to make sure that there's food on the table, to make sure that if somebody walks into that house and he's there, he's the one going down to take care of that problem. He's the one, you know, that it's a big responsibility. His, it is not his job to sit back and, and kind of bark out orders while the wife does the work. And she's the one that has, she's the one who's really has to make it happen. Right. He is to be a leader. Is someone who is doing the work. He's the one, and she's helping yeah. him. Right. So she's there. It's a team effort that's going on. But um, I, I think that that gets mis- and, and then it gets misunderstood because of the heavy influence of egalitarianism, where you've got a bunch of guys just you know basically the wife or the girlfriend or whatever. She's the one paying the bills. She's the one you know kind of dragging him along. Um, that is as unbiblical as anything. Um, he's supposed to be taking the lead. Right. And so she needs to go to bed at night knowing that this burden is not on me. It's on him. And he needs to know that. And when he feels that, okay, it may be uncomfortable at first for him, especially when we're raised so goofy these days. But then he begins to feel like a man. And his, if you want to use the word self-esteem or his... His uh, strength begins to be built. Men are, we, we are designed to thrive off that pressure, okay? And the ladies are not, not in the same way. And so this is more than just who's making the call and whatnot. This is who's bearing the burden of making sure this family is secure. Well, we're told to love our wives like Christ loved the church. It's sacrificial. Oh, man, that's hard. I mean, like, seriously, that calling is, is tough. But, I mean, it's, it's, some, it's a command. Um, you know, it's really interesting, and we'll we'll end here for the sake of time. Um, thinking about, she's told to submit to his Christ-like, right? Like as he's leading you towards Christ, submit, right? I mean, really, that's that's what you keep getting. So that's the ideal. But even if, like even if he's not a Christian, she needs to submit to him until he is telling her to do something that's a sin, unbiblical, right? Like you, you know you. Oh, honey, you know, like we, we should spice up the bedroom and watch porn. Like I've had people sit in my office and I'm looking, I feel like. In the past. Up. Right. Now, <laughs> I'm saying like in pastoral ministry. Right, in pastoral ministry. Where I feel like jumping across the table at that guy that he's even suggested to her, let alone try to pressure her. That kind of, She don't have to submit to that. Absolutely not. But the, the calling is still the calling, and he's still going to give an account for how he was as a husband. Well, yeah, the, the whole idea of submission. So I'm saying this on the, um, the opposite of egalitarianism. You have, for a long time, especially coming out of, like, the 50s and on, um, you had men in the church, right? We 
a lot of people were like religiously lost uh, and they take pieces of the Bible and I think it's hurt women too which has made egalitarianism appealing also aside from what the government's doing is you saw a lot of Christian men for so long just submit make me a sandwich you know and right, I know that sounds like crazy or cliche and it's that like, was kind of how it was and just do this do this do this and it's like like I love when I come home to like you know a fresh cooked meal but it's like man if the meal isn't on like she could have had a busy day or kids could have been chaotic I, I do think so okay so yeah I do think that we she hope needs that you to, all enjoy no I, no I think that that she part of her calling is to make sure that the home is functioning okay people need to eat his part of his calling is to go out and make sure there's food for her to cook so he's out there killing himself she's there's no there's there's no reason why she shouldn't be working hard as well she's fully capable right the problem is if there was a situation so it's almost like we have these caricatures of previous generations where it was like he comes he just starts demanding that for dinner to be yeah that guy was out in the field all day long uh in the sun you know working the fields or hunting or fishing or whatever and obviously if he comes home right and there's nothing's done and the house is a mess and she's been home all day long then he'd have something to say I think more now in the last 30 or 40 years, we've had men, and I'm not saying it's okay for him to be mean to her in that situation, but that was where that was coming from, where, like, where's dinner? Like, he wasn't just asking that because he was playing video games all day long, and then he's asking, where's dinner? He was out there killing himself. He comes home and feels like she didn't do her, her end of the deal, right? But now, so it's not really an old school thing. It's more of a new school thing. Where these guys are like they're not out there working hard. They're not out there. They're I can't keep a job. I can't this and that. And she still has all of this burden on her. And so not only to pay the bills, but then he wants dinner. Then he still wants sex. Then he still wants all this stuff out of her like a traditional wife. But he's not being a traditional man. I don't think I think the average woman a hundred years ago was far happier with far less anxiety in life. Than there is now, and they had far less material stuff back then because the men were men. The men acted like men, and they weren't being abusive to their wives. So, I think there's probably more abuse now than there was then because the men have given up for a number of different reasons, manhood, and yet the ladies are supposed to pick up the slack for them, and then they still expect them to be traditional wives in some ways. And it's like, whoa, what, what is going on here? That's not how it was for 6,000 years. Um, and I think it's a form of abuse when the man's not being the man and then she still has to be the woman. And to clarify and, terrible. and wrap up, um, when we talk about being men, we're not talking about anything that the world says a man should be. We're talking about what did God design right. um, for the home and, and for the the man particularly, to do and to be for his family and his wife here um, to serve her and to point her to Christ, uh, not simply with words, but with actions, by literally going out and being what God told him to be. Um, and that's difficult. Uh, by no means is it easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a call and a command that men and women alike should submit to um, out of God's word. Yeah. So if you all have any questions, feel free to email us at newhill, uh, engage at newhilloh.com and we'll get back to you. We hope that this podcast helped you to put Jesus into perspective. 
Church, uh, we love you guys. Uh, we, we hope that you all are growing in your faith, and I'm just throwing this on there. Please send in those questions. Um, again, engage at newhilloh.com. Uh, send those in so that we can help you to grow in your faith. Your question may be difficult. It may be something that, hey, we just it's simple. We just need to point you to it. Uh, but we, we do want to help you grow in your faith and put Jesus in perspective. All right, church, go out and honor God in all that you do. Observe the things he's commanded. Provide to the needs of others and extend the offer that's been extended to you. Peace. Boom.